Hello, rescuers. I don't know about you, but it's been a pretty tough week for me. I had a fantastic time at the Owlbear and Wizard Staff convention last weekend. Great day on Saturday. Loads of fun. And then on Sunday, while I was trying to rest and recover, I started to come down with a cold. The week at work has been, shall we say, challenging and exhausting and very intense. And I've had very little spare time. But as I sit here this evening, I have to say, there's one thing that really keeps bringing me back to the microphone, and which makes sitting down and sharing something with you guys really, truly rewarding. What's that one thing you might be asking? Well, it's calls like this. Hey Shay, Evil Jeff, Memes and Musings. Love what you said there on your Inertia podcast. Put that big rock in the jar. You know, my father-in-law has a lovely expression, you know, put your poop in a group. And basically, it's all the same. You know, if we want something bad, quit whining about it, get yourself organized, and make the time. You know, you said something about the highly effective people, and I believe... Organization is one of those things of just getting your goals out. You've got to schedule these things. You can't just wait for them to happen. I mean, there are some things that can organically happen, but honestly, you organize your life a little bit more, put a little effort to it, and we can get our goals done, which means we get to gain. Later. Hey, Jay, it's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. You know, some of us really do live in the middle of nowhere, but we don't work in the middle of nowhere. The town where we work is actually pretty big, and I don't know, you know, we go back and forth about trying to do something at the library there or somewhere, but it's like we have to figure out when we can do that, that we don't have to drive the hour into town an extra time a week. So anyway, you were so right about putting your energy where it needs to be. You know, I have recently been thinking about how much time I waste doing things that mean nothing to me, like just kind of checked out, you know? I mean, you need some downtime, but I don't know. I've been spending too much time like that. So anyway, thanks for a great episode. I am inspired. And if you ever run Call of Cthulhu, oh my goodness, I'm going to be watching for that because I would love to play. Hey, Jay, Tim Shorts here. Just listened to your latest podcast about making RPGs the big damn rock. I like that. That's kind of fun. I know one of the biggest things that keeps me from gaming, especially going to conventions and uh, just online games in general, is I get peopled out. (laughs) I'm sure you probably do too with your job. When you're dealing with other, you know, you're dealing with kids and I'm kind of dealing with folks all during the day and sometimes I just want to just kind of have quiet and not have to to talk to anybody and just need that moment to recharge and I don't have the strength to kind of learn or deal with new personalities at the time I just kind of want to find something comfortable you know like some old friends so that's kind of what keeps me away from from doing newer stuff but I try to get over that all right take care Jay Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about getting folk back to playing tabletop roleplaying games. 
A big thank you to the callers at the top of the show there, Evil Jeff, Liren and Tim, all giving some positive feedback and extra thoughts on the topic of overcoming inertia. Thank you, guys. Last Saturday, I began to outline the approach I am taking to providing a weekly after-school fantasy adventure game session for young adults. I call this Simple Dungeoneering. And today, I want to move away from the rules of the game towards a discussion about the structure of the game. This is the second vertex of the triangle of role-playing, game structure. For my game, I'll be using the two oldest and most reliable structures, the combat and the dungeon crawl. In this episode, I aim to recap just a little on how those two structures work and then outline how I plan to deploy them in my one and a half hour sessions at school. This is Season 4, Episode 18, Simple Dungeoneering, Part 2. But before we dive in, I got a curious call from Edwin. Have a listen. Hey Shay, it's Edwin here. Um, Great news that you're so close to the 30 followers goal. Um, It might encourage... More flaws is if you remind us what happens then. Uh, I, for one, have forgotten. I'm sure it's going to be something fantastic. Mind you, you might already have got the 30 followers, so good on you. Bye now. Well now, what an excellent question from Edwin. Thank you for calling, man. It's really great to hear from you. And yeah, I'm probably a bit remiss on this, aren't I? Edwin, of course, is referring to the Roleplay Rescue Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Now, the way it works is I don't really count so much the money that's coming in for the show as I count the number of patrons. And we have a various bunch of targets related to the amount of patrons that we have. Now, curiously, for several weeks now, probably a good month or more, we've been at 27 patrons. And at 30 patrons, we unlock the next goal. Now, what I promised is that when we got to 20, I would do an episode on gaming with teenagers. And we did that back um, early on in the series, just before the start of Series 4, if I remember correctly. At 30 patrons, I promised that I would do at least one episode on running games in school. So what I'm talking about here is something primarily for the benefit of teachers, I guess. Although, I'm hoping anyone who's gaming with young people generally would find it useful. So, here's the deal. If you sign up to the Patreon, even at the $1 kind of tip jar level, you'll be adding to the numbers of patrons supporting the show. And if you think what I'm doing is great, or at least vaguely listenable to, it'll be fantastic if you come and join us in the community. Becoming a patron at $1 gets you access and obviously kicks us towards that goal. Coming and joining at $3 gets you access to early release of every single episode that I produce usually two or three days before it goes out on Anchor. Above that, you just get to amaze me. And we do have $5 sword bearers and one amazing and incredible $10 blessed champion. Look, for me, the Patreon is a great way of kind of encouraging me on. I don't think that I would have maintained keeping this podcast going without it. And I certainly wouldn't have come up with the idea of the GM's journal without a patron 
Frank T making that suggestion in the first place and several others like Reese Laundry cheering on from the sidelines. Those guys are precious to me and I'd love you to come and join us in the community. Thanks again, Edwin. Game on. Last episode, I asked, what does it take to set up, from scratch, a fantasy dungeon-based role-playing campaign? Let's see if we can get playing a simple fantasy adventure game. How can we keep things simple and yet also create an experience that satisfies for a solid evening of play? What's the design process that we need to go through? Listeners to part one will know which game system I chose for the first vertex of my role-playing triangle. But if you missed that one, it's episode 416. And, look, I love call-ins. This was a reaction from the community. H.A. Jason here. That was an excellent summation of GURPS. I really appreciated it. Really liked it. Um, I don't know. It was more just an attaboy, keep up the good work kind of message. Nothing real specific to tell you. So take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye. What's up, Shay? Your episode came out at the perfect time for me, man. It's looking like there's a pretty good chance that my campaign might be heading into a dungeon in the next couple weeks. So I've been, you know, thinking about putting one together just to have in my back pocket just in case. And so, yeah, like I said, this is awesome, man. Like, I'm super stoked about this. I'm going to dig into it. I love trying to make a dungeon as simple as possible, uh, especially... Uh, for me, you know, as a as a blind DM, running dungeons is particularly tricksy. So I like to keep it as simple as possible, man. So I'm excited to hear what you got to say about it. All right, peace out. Thank you to Jason and Joe there. Um, glad you enjoyed. I'm kind of slightly worried that Joe was calling me as he started to listen and then would have been hugely disappointed to discover that Simple Dungeoneering Episode 1 or Part 1 was in fact not at all about dungeoneering. Um, it's really about the first vertex of the triangle. Joe, I hope you weren't too disappointed. I hope uh, you found something of use. But I'm going to try and dig in today into at least how I'm going to go about trying to create a simple dungeon campaign. And that means digging into the second vertex. In the triangle of rules, structure and world... Guys, the three main elements of the role-playing game. I'd like to move into the game structure. For those who are new to Roleplay Rescue or who haven't listened to episode 102, uh, What Are Role-Playing Games? Which is, incidentally, a surprisingly under-listened-to episode. Um, the game structure is something that is probably best explained through a quotation from the Alexandrian. Quote, one of the most overlooked aspects in the design and play of traditional role-playing games is the underlying game structure, or, to put it another way, there are two questions which every game designer and GM must ask themselves. One, what do the characters do? Two, how do the players do it? These questions might seem deceptively simple, but the answers are complex, and getting the right answers is absolutely critical to having a successful game session, end quote. The three big game structures are dungeon crawls, hex crawls, and mysteries. And I'd personally 
add combat to the list as the most basic game structure of all, the one that Arneson and Gygax began with through their own experience with wargaming. Just think about it. Most D&D-style dungeon adventures designed for new players, they begin with combat. It's the ambush on the road, or the guards at the dungeon entrance, the goblins in the woods, the rats in the cellar, and the kobolds in the caves. Even if we don't consciously think about combat as a game structure, it is one nonetheless. What do the characters do? They try to kill or drive off their opponents. How do the players do it? They use their combat abilities or magical powers to try and kill or injure their enemies. Can you play a combat through as a distinct game with a clear goal? Of course you can. It's the basic minigame. I came to this realisation when I saw Steve Jackson do it twice. Malay introduces combat to players of the Fantasy Trip RPG. Man to Man introduces combat to players of his later GURPS game. In most RPGs, combat as the basic structure eats up a lot of pages to give players and GMs an organised set of procedures to follow. So yeah, of course combat is a game structure. In this episode, I want to talk about how I'll deploy these two basic gaming structures, combat and dungeon crawling, to my quick play campaign. The campaign has a working title, by the way. The Dungeons of Thal, with two A's. I think part one covered this in basic terms. The players will roll up a character who begins with two weapons, or a shield and a weapon, and a bunch of randomly determined skills, an advantage and a disadvantage. From there, it's into the pit. To invoke one element of the world I'm imagining... I had decided that any contender to enter the dungeons of Thal must prove their worth within the fighting pits of the city. This is a convenient way in which to teach the main mechanisms of the game and have a quick, fun hour or so of gaming. I envision a series of bouts, each probably taking half an hour to an hour depending on the players involved, and even if there's only one player, their fighter can face off with a couple of goblins or wolves or something. And if there are two players, well, they can fight each other. And if there are multiple players, well, we'll pit numbers against each other. You know, even numbers in pairs, or if there are odd numbers, well, let's throw all those fighters against an array of goblins or wolves or some such kind of creature. Each bout earns fighters extra character points by way of experience. Drawing on the guidance in GURPS man-to-man, I'm going to total up the points value of each fighter and compare them to their opponents. Winning a fight, either slaying all the opponents or forcing them to yield, nets you two character points. Surviving nets you one point. And if you're dead, obviously, well, you're dead. This should encourage yielding, by the way. But in addition, fighting an opponent who is stronger than you nets you a plus two bonus. There is no penalty for fighting a weaker opponent, but there is not much incentive either. Just want to add that I have, by the way, three arenas in mind. I have the long narrow arena from the Fantasy Trips Malay, plus the larger Wizards arena, and I'm also looking forward to having a large hexagonal arena that my colleague Dave is making, apparently using laser-etched acrylic overlays under which I get to put decent artwork. Overall, this is, to me, easy stuff, and I think it largely speaks for itself. 
Once players have had a session, or perhaps even two or three sessions, of pit fighting and they are ready, they'll be able to enter the Dungeons of Thal. These lie under the city and consist of a series of dangerous and themed zones. Here's the basic idea. I want to be able to provide the players with an hour and a half or so of exciting exploration in a dungeon. I want to minimise my own prep and maximise the replay value of the dungeon. Experience tells me that a dungeon space of around five locations makes for a good evening's play. Thus, I aim to construct the first level of the dungeons as four distinct areas, each of 1d3 plus three locations, that's four to six, tied together with a simple theme, such as a tomb, for example. I intend to randomly generate these mini-dungeons using some random tables. I'm currently torn between digging out my 1e D&D DMG using the tables in there, or diving into engineering dungeons by Troll Lord Games, because those are some pretty good random tables too, or using the uber-detailed but very fun to play with tables from the Castle Old School Dungeon Generator. Maybe, just maybe, I'll just end up using all of them and compare results. Stealing a cool idea from the fantasy trip, I aim to give the party of adventurers a large magical ring. Imagine a metal ring about 12 inches in diameter, thick and shiny, made of gold. This is a ring of return, and will transport up to six humanoids holding the ring with at least one hand out of the dungeon and back to the entry room. The trigger is a command word. Something quite silly actually appeals to me, such as Alakabam! But anyway, using the ring has no penalty, but after using, it requires recharging, and the ring return will cost some gold to recharge, this being the first way in which the Keepers of Thal get their cut of the spoils from the dungeon. Initially, there might be little need for using it, but a party deep in the dungeon and not wanting to use it will need to roll on a getting out of the dungeon alive chart which has some pretty deadly outcomes as possibilities if they haven't got out of the dungeon by the time the session is up. This way we'll give incentive to the idea of leaving the dungeon in a timely fashion at the end of each session which is fundamentally a necessity when you're running an open table game. In terms of which part of the dungeon they enter Initially, the players will enter via Zone 1's main portal. I aim to have each zone linked to two other zones via gates or doors, so they can take on a traditional exploration route if they wish. But these gates will be very obvious and might require a bit of cleverness or even the use of a key to access. For a price, and after Session 1, players will be offered transition to a fixed point in any other zone at the start of a session by the purpose of magic. Thus, they might pay 100 coppers to be transported into another of the three zones. This is another way in which the Keepers of Thal keep the characters paying their way. Beyond level 1, I plan to add some means, whether it be stairs or chutes or tunnels, down into the deeper levels from three of the four zones on level 1. While the level 1 zones will be quite straightforward, aiming to teach the key tropes of dungeon gaming, the lower levels will become increasingly dangerous in the time-honored tradition. As the players reach level 2, they will also discover that their Ring of Return is not the only one of its type. There are two-way versions, 
a pair of rings that are keyed to each other, sending the holder of one ring to the location of another ring. Clever players can thus bypass sections of the dungeon by leaving one of the rings inside a location and carrying the other. One can imagine several uses of this, but the most basic would be to allow a swift return to the last location of beam out. Of course, rings that are not carefully hidden stand a pretty good chance of being picked up and moved by dungeon denizens between adventures. And I'll have a random table for that. For my simple dungeon game, I'm going to lean heavily on the dungeon crawling procedures from early editions of Dungeons & Dragons. To my mind, the best of these is found in the recently published Old School Essentials, itself a restatement of the classic Basic Expert Edition of D&D from 1981. Here's how it works. Quote, One, wandering monsters. The referee makes checks as applicable. Two, actions. The party decides what action to take, e.g. moving, searching, listening, entering rooms. 3. Description. The referee describes what happens. If monsters are encountered, follow the procedure described in Encounters. 4. End of turn. The referee updates time records with special attention to light sources, spell durations and the party's need to rest. End quote. Because I am using GURPS Dungeon Fantasy instead of OSE, I am taking just the procedure, and then I'm going to substitute some of the mechanisms with stuff that better fits with the my rule of choice. In short, I'm only using D6s, so I won't be using other polyhedral dice used on some of the tables in OSE, but that's just taste, really. The main thing to note is that OSE uses 10-minute turns, a concept alien to GURPS has written. Of course, because my rule set is based on real measurements of time, this is no problem. I will track time and roll when the appropriate period of time has elapsed. GURPS Dungeon Fantasy offers random monster checks on a roll of 6 or less on 3d6, unless of course it's more dangerous or characters are being noisy. In those cases, the chance can rise to 9 or less, and sometimes even 12 or less. OSE uses 1d6 when a monster on a roll of a 1 every 2 turns or 20 minutes as the default. Given that a 1 on a d6 occurs roughly 16% of the time, emulating that on 3d6 is best done with a score of 7 or less. That said, I'm comfortable with the lower base frequency of 6 or less occurring about 9% of the time. To this, however, I intend to use the rules on increasing the odds due to character activity being noisy. I will also kick up the odds in dangerous, well-patrolled or just densely inhabited sections of the dungeon. 9 or less occurs 37.5% of the time, but I can slide that modifier as a situation deserves. Rulings, not rules. The only other tweak is that in OSE, players must rest every hour for one turn. That's 50 minutes of activity and 10 minutes of rest. I'm not going to enforce this, but because I'm using the GURPS fatigue rules fully, there means that after a protective combat and spellcasting, Characters will be tired and wise if they take a rest. So I don't want to mechanically hardwire the rest of itself into the procedure. It's kind of a little bit too gamey for my taste, but the truth is they will want to take regular rests. In summary then, the players will be declaring actions and I will be adjudicating them. 
I'll be tracking time in broadly 10 minute blocks. Every 20 minutes, I'll check for wandering monsters on 3d6 with something occurring on a 6 or less by default. If a monster is triggered, I'll be rolling 2d6 on a random table with 11 possible outcomes and utilising the bell curve to make monsters more or less common in the dungeon. Once an hour, I may ask the players if they want to rest, as a reminder, but I'm not wedded to that idea. And that's about it for the dungeon crawl procedure. As you can see, it's a simple game structure that can operate largely independently of the game rules. I am choosing to blend the rules and the structure together through common mechanisms, and I'm doing that simply because it's easier for me to remember. In a four to six room dungeon zone, the players will encounter some interesting locations. They can explore and loot the treasure. They can locate access to further zones of the dungeon, including levels below and, later on, above that which they are currently on. If things get hairy, or if they run out of time, the players can opt to activate the Ring of Return and beam up to the surface. To me, that's a nice simple dungeoneering experience. Let me know what you think. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Simple Dungeoneering Part 2. I hope you found something of value here. Massive thanks to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons. Without their support, I might not have been tempted to throw the towel this week, quite frankly. It's been, yeah, awful. Thank you, guys. Thanks for keeping me going, encouraging me, and all those wonderful comments when I kind of admitted I was struggling. Thanks also go out to TJ Drennan for his excellent Patreon, which provided the new interlude tune earlier in the episode. I absolutely love his stuff. TJ, keep going, man. It's great. As ever... Thank you also to all the callers. Evil Jeff, Liren, Tim Shorts, Edwin, Jason and Joe. But really, you guys, you make my show so much better. So thank you, and please keep calling in. And that's about it. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on. <laughs>